everyone. This is TJ and Ray. Welcome back, guys, to the fifth episode of Reconnect. Well, we've gone over a lot of different topics so far, and it's our fifth episode, so maybe we should have a pretty easy one,、mm-hmm. right? An easy one for our audience who are listening right now to digest. Okay, I don't think we can call it an easy、uh, topic, but just drawing on my experience from being a Christian. When I encountered friends who were atheists, those were the times that I felt I was most challenged,、mm. because I had to provide explanations to my friends who wanted to know about God, but for them it was something so difficult to believe in. Because how do I believe in a God that I can't see?、It、made sense for me too, because a lot of the things that we believe in, we are able to because we see it. It's tangible. It's quantifiable. When it comes to faith, when it comes to God. It feels as though we have to work around that, work completely around that、uh, way of thinking. It does, and actually, that question of how can I believe in a god that I can't see? As humans, we're so used to things being visible, being things that we can actually touch. But even as Christians, I think that this is not a question that's just exclusive for atheists or agnostics. It's definitely a question that I've had. One of those kind of questions that you don't feel comfortable asking in front of other people. But definitely has popped in your head at one time or another. Hey, imagine if you, in the middle of Sunday school, put your hand up and say, "Hey, how do I? How can I believe in God if I can't even see Him?" I don't think I've seen anybody who's asked that question in Sunday school. No, I definitely have not. Yeah, so it's difficult to ask those sort of sensitive questions when you're within a Christian community, but you hear it as soon as you go out and talk to friends who aren't Christians. Just from my own experience, trying to. Explain God and His existence to other friends of mine who were not believers. It was during those moments where I had to reflect on my own life of faith as a Christian. Like,、hmm. why do I believe? <laughs> if I if I can't explain it to someone else, then you know there certainly is a problem here, right? Yeah, like you said, if I can't explain it simply to someone else, then you start questioning yourself. Why do I believe in this? I thought to myself. Do we believe in anything in our daily lives that we cannot see? And the answer is quite simple: we do. We do believe in things that are not visible to us, that are intangible, and and we don't question them. One example would be air. Another example would be electricity. And we know that those are there. We know those exist. We don't doubt it because we see the effects of them, right? Although we're not able to see electricity, when we flip on a switch, we have light, and we have. These electronic devices that we're recording this podcast on, obviously. <laughs> yep, that are working right now. And we don't question it because we know that electricity is there because we see the effects of it, and that's how generally people come to understand or believe things that they're not able to see, and they don't question it because they see the effects. I was wondering if we're able to apply the same principle in our belief of God, because although we are not able to see God. Does God provide us a way of believing in Him without being able to see Him? Because if God doesn't provide us a way, it seems kind of irresponsible on His part. <laughs> it does. So surely there is a way、um, to be able to answer this question. But I also think that we're leading up to our topic for today. All right. So the topic is: Does God provide us a way of believing in Him without being able to see Him?、Mm. Basically. Without being able to see him, does God provide us evidence to be able to believe in him? But before we go into that, I think it's important for us to first understand why we can't see God, right, Ray? 
pretty sure you should know the answer to this. <laughs> why, why are you trying to quiz me <laughs> in this recording right now, TJ? This is, well, how long have we been going to the same church together? This is a no-brainer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, if it's a no-brainer, I don't think you'll have any trouble. All right. All right. I'm okay. I see, I see yeah. how little confidence you have in me, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Prove me wrong. <laughs> all right. Challenge accepted. Well, we can see in John chapter 4, verse 24, that it says that God is spirit. Ding, ding, ding. All right. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad I passed the test. If you're anything like me growing up, whether you were reading Goosebumps novels like I was doing or, or watching scary television or films and things like that, I'd like to think of myself as a little bit of an expert on ghosts back then. <laughs> One, because you've read Goosebumps. Yeah, now, yeah, that's enough for an expert, you're right? You're saying you're an expert. Okay, that's, yeah, I guess so, I guess so. I'm not sure if the listeners would agree, but <laughs> go ahead, Ray. Well, whether you agree or not, one attribute I think that most of our listeners can agree on is that a spirit is transparent. They're invisible. They don't share the same physical characteristics that we do. They can't see the looks on our faces and things like that. We can't reach out and touch them. Well, the Bible is actually making it clear to us that God exists in that same form. God being spirit we aren't able to see him with our eyes. It's very difficult for us to see spirit, but even for people who claim that they can see spirits, God makes it even more difficult. If you look in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 15, God says he is one who hides himself. So on top of being a spirit, he hides himself. Why would God be playing hide and seek with us? Exactly, that is the question. Because God says he wants us to believe in him so that we are saved. But it's contradictory because he's hiding himself. He makes it so difficult for us to discover him. And yet he wants us to believe in him. So what's God's intention here? Now, if we go look at Psalm chapter 14, verse two, we're able to see God's intention. God says, that God is trying to find someone who is truly seeking him. In, in that way, it's actually not too different from any of our own relationships. Mm -hmm. Whether it's friends or family or relationship, it actually doesn't matter. Mm. What we're looking for is someone who wants to know us, mm -hmm. yeah. wants to actually make that deep connection with us. That's the only way that you can get a genuine relationship. Reading Psalm chapter 14, verse two, it seems like that's what God wants too. It's kind of like a letter. I know it's pretty archaic these days. No one puts pen to paper. <laughs> Very few people do, right? Most of the letters I get are bills. <laughs> but imagine pouring your heart into something. Mm -hmm. You're taking that time and that effort to put it on paper mm -hmm. and send it to someone. And you're hoping that person would take the time to not just examine the envelope, but actually open it. Mm -hmm. And when they do open it, not to skim it, but to actually read it, that they have that desire to seek out that sender. That's kind of the, the thing that pops in my head when I think about seeking God. It also reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 29, 13, where it says, like, you will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. And mm, yeah. that kind of heart. Okay, so from these two verses that we just talked about, we can understand that God hides himself, but wants us to find him. And what we can see from here is that God wants a genuine relationship with us. And if you listen to any of our previous episodes, you can see that God actually wants us to know him before really believing in him. So if you haven't heard those episodes already, go back to it, check it out. But like I said, God wants to build a genuine relationship with us and he wants us to know him first. Even in the midst of his hiding, he's trying to find people who really search for him. And that is the condition and the requirement that he asks of us before he reveals the method of how to believe in him without being able to see him. So as Christians, or even if you're a non-Christian listening to this, if you really want to find God, please take to heart what we just said and the verses that we mentioned. And then let's dive into the method. So how does God reveal himself to us without being seen? God is spirit. 
But the way he conveys himself to us is through the prophets, God speaks. And the prophets record what God tells them to write. And those writings are what we now know as dun 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 <laughs> the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and the prophets attribute all their writing, not to themselves, but to God. And damn, and we're, we're talking about people who lived years apart from each other in completely different circumstances who had no knowledge of each other. They didn't know each other, right? Because I think one argument that someone could actually bring up is that, okay, well, it's easy to say that these prophets had prophecy that was given to them by God, mm -hmm. but yeah. maybe they just knew each other. But that's actually not the case, even historically. So we're talking about completely different people who all had received a word from God. And just like you said, TJ, that attribution they give to him, not to themselves. Yeah, so I get what you're saying because a lot of skeptics say that the prophets all claiming that they receive the word from God and they write it down, they say that this is potentially open to manipulation. Right. But we can dismiss that because all these prophets lived in different times, in different regions, and they had no association to each other. Because of this, we are able to believe in the verse where it says, all scriptures are God-breathed, which is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. God says that all scriptures are his words. He uses the prophets as his pen, but the words that the prophets recorded are not the prophets, but God's. This is important. So what they wrote, what the prophets wrote are prophecies. Makes sense. And what are prophecies, right? Well, prophecies are a plan for the future. Mm -hmm. So just like I might make a plan today for something that I want to happen in the future, and I have every intention of making sure this happens in the future, it's that same kind of way with God. God has actually given this plan to these prophets for the time when the, those prophecies were fulfilled and that plan of his reaches its conclusion. This is the method that God uses to verify that he is there without being seen. Mm. To put it simply, God through the prophets, hundreds of years in advance, promises or plans something, makes it known through the Bible. And then when it's a time, all those prophecies and plans that God recorded come true exactly according to the way they were written. So God lets his plan known and then he makes it come true. Although we are not able to see God in physicality, mm. if we see that these writings that have prophecies written over hundreds of years ago come true in real life, that although we are not able to see God, we're able to see the works. And this is where we go back to the example of electricity. Right. We're not able to see electricity, but we're able to see the light when we flip on the switch. Right. It, it equates to the way God works with prophecy and fulfillment. We can't see God, but we see his works. And this is why Jesus in John chapter 14 says, if you cannot believe in me, believe me through the works that I do. You know, for the longest time, I actually thought that verse was connected to his miracles. Right, so a lot of people think that the works are miracles. But the thing is, if the works that Jesus is referring to in this verse is talking about the miracles, then how do you explain what happens in John chapter six? Because thousands of people gathered around Jesus, Jesus multiplied loaves of bread and fish, fed thousands, and the Israelites, they crowded around Jesus and they wanted to make him king. But did they follow him till the end? No. If you look at the end of John chapter 6, when Jesus tells these crowds what they really need to hear, they find it challenging and they turn away. So although they saw those miracles happen, they never followed Jesus. Wow. 
So the, the miracles themselves, that wasn't enough to actually hold their attention. The miracles are actually just a tool for bringing them in so that they can hear mm -hmm. the words that they needed to hear to know the message God is yeah. wanting to communicate mm -hmm. so desperately to them. But the works are not referring to the miracles, as we just said. Right. The works is referring to the prophecy and fulfillment. God is telling us through John chapter 14 that although we are not able to see him, if we see all his works, his prophecy come to life, then isn't that sufficient evidence for us to believe in it without being able to see him? much like how we are able to believe in electricity without being able to see it. Well, let's take a look at the Bible itself and actually prove our point. Or let the Bible prove its point. <laughs> oh yeah, let the Bible speak for itself. <laughs> <laughs> it won't speak on its behalf, but yeah, let's let the Bible do the work for us. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 15. So in Genesis chapter 15, we have God who gives a promise, a covenant, yes, but gives a promise to Abraham. Ooh, Abraham. Right. And Abraham, yes. Father Abraham and many sons. Yes, I'm, you know, I won't okay. more, <laughs> for those of our listeners right now who are <laughs> probably having flashbacks of vacation Bible school and things like that. Approximately 4,000 years ago, God promises something. And actually, there are multiple things that are within this promise. The biggest takeaway that many of us have when we think about Abraham is that promise of Isaac, his son, mm -hmm. and then many descendants to come. Mm. Right. And yes, God does promise that. And he does bring him his son Isaac and he does bring those descendants to him. But what's interesting are some of the details involved. God makes a promise to Abraham that his descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They will be enslaved for four generations, so 400 years, but will come out with many possessions. That is a very interesting, very detailed promise. But let's see how that actually plays out. We have Isaac, Abraham's son. And then Isaac has a son, Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons of his own. A lot of sons. That's a lot of sons. Right? <laughs> Cheaper by the dozen. <laughs> <laughs> have you watched that movie? Yeah. Actually, I have watched that movie. They, there was a sequel as well. Okay, well, this isn't movie review, but yes. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Let's get back on track. <laughs> That's okay. TJ's movie reviews. Um, but yes, so Jacob has 12 sons. And among those sons, who's very famous for his Technicolor dream coat, like mm, the famous yeah, yeah. musical, we have Joseph. And Joseph is someone who has dreamed a lot of different dreams, which become important a little bit later. But because of these dreams and for other reasons, his brothers are pretty jealous of him. So for many of us who are listening right now, we know the account. He was knocked into a ditch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's brought into slavery and just... It, seems like he's having the worst time ever until he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And that endears him to Pharaoh. He's able to realize the value of him because he's, through interpreting those dreams, able to realize that, hey, there's a famine coming. Mm -hmm. And is able to tell Pharaoh the steps that he needs to make to make sure that Egypt will be safe when that famine arrives. Mm -hmm. So as a result of all this, Joseph, who became a slave, becomes essentially like the prime minister, the right-hand man. Yeah. The famine, of course, reaches his family and his father, Jacob. They come to Egypt and they reunite, which I'm sure was a big shock to them that mm, yeah. <laughs> the prime minister was Joseph. But they're able to reunite. Joseph invites them all to stay in Egypt. And, and the pharaoh, having known Joseph, is mm -hmm. like, hey, yeah, that's great. Bring your whole family. 
But as awesome as that situation seems, it doesn't just end there. Because we actually see in Exodus 1 that generations later we have a new king that came into power. Exodus chapter 1 tells us that he had no knowledge of Joseph and he actually saw the Israelites who had multiplied quite a bit, just like God had promised Abraham. He saw them as more of a threat than anything else, and so they were enslaved. So we have that period of time of four generations of captivity. And of course, then we have Moses. Mm -hmm. Moses, Moses is chosen by God and is able to be used by God to bring out the Israelites from captivity. I mean, and of course, we've seen the Prince of Egypt. We've seen the Ten Commandments. Top Sunday school movies Top. of all time. <laughs> of all time. I mean, I'll, I'll spare yeah. you any of the songs from that film. But what's interesting here is what we see in Exodus chapter 12. Because one of those details of that promise that God gave to Abraham was that they would come out of captivity with many possessions. We have the check marks of them being strangers in a foreign land, being enslaved for four generations. But in Exodus chapter 12, it says that God has actually softened the hearts, that they gave all their possessions to the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt. So we have these slaves being given all these precious possessions from the people that were their masters, just like God had promised Abraham. Keep in mind the 400 year period that separates that promise given to Abraham mm. and the result that the fulfillment of Yeah. You know, when I first learned about this at our church, God made a promise with Abraham, your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, enslaved, but after four generations come out with great possessions. I didn't even notice this prophecy, but seeing how it was fulfilled, this entire story that you know you just told us, how God worked through Joseph, how he was hated by his brothers, sent off into slavery, was endeared by the Pharaoh, somehow miraculously became the prime minister. And at that time, there was a famine going on in the land that Jacob was living in. All of them come to Egypt for food and they again miraculously reunite with their lost son. So they end up living in Egypt and they prosper here. They multiply here. And then the Pharaoh, new Pharaoh after hundreds of years, becomes fearful of this uh, people living in his land and enslaves them. All this process is so intricate and the promise that God made with Abraham is fulfilled so precisely. Mm. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were strangers on a foreign land in Egypt. And after four generations, exactly. So if you count the number of generations from Jacob to Moses, it's exactly four generations. Wow. Just as God promised hundreds of years prior to the birth of Moses. So God promises very specifically and fulfills very precisely exactly according to his promise. And this is why it's difficult to say that the prophecies and fulfillments are manipulated because you can't move all those people and get those people to do all those things. You can't plan it out among people. There, there was no coordinated effort here. Let's say you want to disregard the time periods that actually separates all these events from happening. But this isn't a time where people had access to the internet. It would be extremely difficult to have a coordinated effort. It's beyond human capacity. And let's draw from another example in the Bible. Let's talk about Jesus. In the Old Testament, through the prophets, God prophesied that the Messiah would have to be born in a specific location, that being Bethlehem. And as we all know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But what's important to know is how Jesus came to be born in Bethlehem. If you look at the story of Mary and Joseph, they didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in another region. Coincidentally, when Mary was very late into her pregnancy, the Roman Empire orders a census 
on the uh, Israelite population. What the Israelites have to do is they have to return to their hometown to register their census. And Joseph, although he lived in a different region, his hometown was Bethlehem. That's why Mary, Joseph, and a donkey, they make that uh, journey to Bethlehem. And after that arduous journey, Mary goes into labor. And this is how Jesus came to be born in Bethlehem. The things needed for one person to pull that off. (laughs) 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 The checklist would be so long. But no, it's not possible. It's not possible for someone to actually organize a census, one person, or even a group of people in order to make this prophecy valid. If you really think about this, if you really dig deep into whether or not this is possible, whether it's a group of people or a person, one person pulling the strings and see if this is possible, it's not. The deeper you think about this, you'll find that it's beyond human capacity. But at this point, there is another question from skeptics, and I myself understand this as well. They say that, okay, your only source is the Bible, okay? So the prophecies and fulfillment that we are talking about, the only historical source is the Bible. And they say, if I don't believe the Bible to be a credible source of history, then all your argument, it's rendered obsolete. And I understand that. If you don't believe that the Bible is a credible source, then you're right. However, the point that I wanna make is not whether or not the Bible is a credible source. That's something that we're gonna talk about in a later episode, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Mm. Yeah, But anyway, our point was that if there is a way to verify that God is out there without being able to see him, if there is a method that God provides us, then should we be so quick to dismiss the possibility that he exists just because you can't see him? Like electricity. We keep coming back to electricity because I I just like, yeah, I like that example. (laughs) Well, let's talk about a black hole, you know, (laughs) put electricity aside for now. Let's talk about a black hole. A black hole is not visible. It's the absence of light in space. The color of space is black because it's the absence of light. And if you have a black circle on top of black canvas, you can't see it. But the reason scientists and the general public believes that there is a black hole is because of the influence of the effects the black hole has around its surrounding celestial bodies. The light emitted by the celestial bodies surrounding the black hole are distorted when they come near the black hole. And that's why we are able to say, hey, there's something there. And like this, When it comes to God and the prophecy and fulfillment, although we are not able to see God, if we are able to see that his prophecies are coming true, then isn't that something that we can consider and dig deeper into so that we don't quickly dismiss the possibility of God? So, if God provides us a way to believe in his existence without being able to see him, should we be so quick to dismiss his existence without first verifying? TJ, we've had a lot of questions today. Um, we did a lot of really deep ones and for many of our listeners right now who are christians they might be thinking to themselves that i've had questions that i've been too ashamed or too scared to actually share with someone at my church or even among my friends or family in my christian community we're here to let you know that these questions are actually okay to ask they're actually valid and for non-christians who are listening to this podcast potentially maybe we could ask ourselves whether or not we dismiss the possibility or the existence of God without knowing that there is a means that God provides in the Bible for us to believe in his existence without being able to see him. Today, we talked about what that is. It's prophecy and fulfillment. If we are able to verify that all of these prophecy and fulfillment come true, is there a reason not to believe? And if you've now been informed that God provides a way, a means for us to believe in him without being able to see him, 
should we not put in the effort to verify? If you don't put in the effort to verify, knowing that there is a means, knowing that God provided these means, then what is your intention? Do you really want to find out whether or not there is a God? So please have the right heart to search for God. And through the means that we discussed today, please verify through the Bible. Only after that can we really see and make, a, make an independent judgment as to whether or not God is really out there. Well, that's all we have for today. And I hope that what we talked about has gotten you to start asking questions, become more curious. And if you have those questions, please forward them to us. Please. please email us and we'd be happy to take a look, connect with you. And we're happy to provide any assistance in your journey, in your discovery of God. And if you've liked what you heard today, what should we do, Ray? Please like, subscribe, and share. Yes, let other people know. Oh, Don't forget yes, to download. Please download as well. <laughs> But yes, if you, if you like what you've heard, please share with others. Um, we'd love to have more people listening. And yes, keep those questions coming. That's a wrap, right, Ray? This has been TJ. And Ray. And you've been listening to Reconnect. Reconnect. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys.